Well, a number of years ago now, I heard a preacher talk about an assignment that he was given while in seminary, where the seminary prof gave the class an old Bible and a pair of scissors and instructed them to go through that Bible and to identify every verse that talked about the poor or the marginalized or the oppressed or God's heart for justice and to then cut those verses out from that Bible. That was the assignment. And that's what they did. Going through that old Bible and identifying somewhere around 2,000 different Bible verses that talked about the poor in some way, cut those verses out from that Bible and was left then with, quite literally, a holy Bible. Get it? A holy Bible or a Swiss cheese Bible. And the tragedy of it all, this preacher argued, was that many North American Christians in many North American churches, this is the Bible that they read each and every day, if they read the Bible each and every day. And this is the Bible that many preachers preach from today, as we typically just ignore what the Bible actually says about the poor and the oppressed and about what God thinks about justice. Well, we're in the middle of a series called Life Together, a series all about the church and what it means to share in the life of Christ together as the people of God. If you've missed any of the previous weeks, I'd encourage you to catch up on our YouTube page because there's been some important conversations that I I hope you've been able to engage with and uh, listen to. Last week, though, we started a conversation about the mission and the purpose of the church where we looked at the story of God and the story of the Bible and talked about where the church fits into that story. Describing the church like this, as a spirit-empowered, Jesus-proclaiming, restorative force in the world, where in the power of the Holy Spirit, we together push back the power of darkness, the powers of darkness in our world and partner with God in his giant restoration project for the world, praying and working towards seeing God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's in a nutshell, the big idea of last week's message. This morning though, what I wanna do is I wanna pick up on that conversation and I wanna talk about uh, one of the ways that we are called to do that together as the people of God, and specifically what I want to do is I want to talk about God's heart for the poor. And we're caring for the poor and the needy and the oppressed and the marginalized, where all of that fits in to the bigger picture and to the mission and the purpose that God has for the church as a restorative force, kingdom force in the world. And this message is especially appropriate for us uh, in light of Sunday's food bank announcement. If you weren't with us on uh, this past Sunday morning, we announced there that we are moving towards now um, potentially opening an anchor cause. We're moving towards the planning phase of opening a, uh, a food bank, rather, I said anchor cause, a food bank within Riverside South. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna spend some time surveying the scriptures and taking a high level look at what the Bible actually says about caring for the poor. Because I know that the announcement of starting a food bank, it's exciting 
and it's faith building and it's risky and it's scary and it's all of the above. But if we aren't rooted in the scriptures in this, and if we aren't clear on God's call on the church and where this fits into his mission, the mission that he's given the church, then we run the risk of missing the point and doing a good thing, but a thing that doesn't really fit into the mandate and the, the mission, the purpose that God has given to his people, that God has given to the church. So then, what does the Bible say about the poor and the needy and the oppressed? What does the Bible say about God's heart for justice? And where's this fit into the mission of the church? That's what we're going to talk about here today. I mentioned earlier that there's somewhere around 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about the poor in some way. Now, I'm not good at math, but by all counts, that's a lot of verses, isn't it? In fact, I got out my calculator because I'm not good at math. And I did some math and I took the 23,145 verses that are in the entire Bible and I divided them by 2,000, right? The 2,000 verses that talk about the poor in some way and discovered that one out of every 11 and a half verses in the entire Bible speaks to the issue of the poor in some way. That's 8.6% of the entire Bible. Meaning, no matter how you slice it, this issue of poverty, God's heart for the poor, God's heart for justice, it's completely unignorable. And it's critical that we understand what it says, what the Bible says about the poor. So let's look at some of what the Bible says about this issue and where we fit within it, where the mission of the church comes into play as we think about God's heart for justice and for the oppressed. Let's start in the Old Testament. Believe it or not, in the Old Testament, the theme of justice and God's heart, God's care and concern for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable, it is the second most prominent theme in the entire Old Testament. Second only to the theme of idolatry which actually sometimes goes hand in hand with that theme of justice as people's idolatry of money and wealth and power often leads to oppressing the poor. And there's lots of Old Testament verses that we could look at to get a sense of what the Old Testament has to say about this issue, but I want to look at just three really briefly with you here today. And the most popular verse that speaks to this issue is probably uh, Micah 6 verse 8. Micah 6, verse 8. If you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard it before, but let me read it for you again. Here's what it says. And this is what he, what God requires of you, to do what is right, or as some other translations put it, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If you want to know what God requires of you to be in right relationship with him, this is it according to Micah, the prophet of the Old Testament, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, we don't have time to look at all three of those things, but let's think about that word justice for a, a, a moment. What is that word all about? Well, this word justice, it's a word that appears some 200 times in the Old Testament. And it can be a little bit of a confusing word as many of us probably think of justice as being primarily about revenge 
and retribution and maybe punishment for wrongdoing, where we make sure that people get what they are due, right? Making sure people pay the, the punishment due for their crime. That's often what we think of when we think of the word justice. But while the Bible does talk about that kind of justice, it's not really what it's referring to here in Micah 6. Instead, when we read in Micah 6 verse 8 that we are called to do what is right or to be a person of justice, this kind of justice, it's about defending the poor and the needy and and actively working to ensure that every person everywhere is treated rightly. That's biblical justice, making sure every person everywhere is treated rightly. Whether it's ensuring that people maybe have enough food to eat, clothes to wear, or shelter to protect them, or even connection and proximity, relationship to a community of people who can care for them holistically, whether we're talking spiritually, emotionally, uh, physically, mentally, it's working to ensure, again, that every person everywhere is treated fairly and equitably, honorably, rightly, with dignity, and with respect, ultimately as people created in the image of God. That's biblical justice in a nutshell. And it's quite evident in this passage and in others that justice matters to God, that this is a huge deal to God, and it should be a huge deal to us as well. It's Micah 6 verse 8. It's the first passage. The second passage I want to look at from the Old Testament is Zechariah 7. Verses 9 and 10, which is similar to the Micah passage, but explains a little bit more about what biblical justice might look like. Here's what Zechariah 7 verses 9 and 10 says. This is what the Lord of the heaven's armies says. Judge fairly, or as some other translations put it, administer true justice. I like that phrase. Administer true justice and show mercy and kindness to one another. And here's how we can do that. Verse 10. Do not oppress, or we could even say, do not ignore the widows and the orphans and the foreigners and the poor. Or in other words, Zechariah is saying here to be very careful to ignore or to be very careful to avoid, avoid ignoring or taking advantage of people with no power, with no property, with no patriarch, or with no family. As widows and orphans and foreigners, the poor in this agrarian patriarchal society, they often found themselves living in poverty at no fault to their own, but simply because of their life's conditions and because they weren't connected to a family who could provide for them. Zechariah says, administer true justice to these people. Show them mercy and kindness by providing for them and defending them and taking care of them instead of ignoring them or worse, taking advantage of them. Administer true justice. That's Zechariah 7 verses 9 and 10, second passage. Third passage, Old Testament passage is this. It's Exodus 22 verses 22 uh, to 24. Before we look at that, did did you know that one of the main reasons that we see God sometimes getting angry with the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament is precisely because of this issue? Because of their treatment of the poor and the needy and the vulnerable? 
It's true. Look at what God says to Moses in this passage, this Exodus 22 passage where he says this. This is God speaking uh, to Moses about the nation of Israel. He says, you must not exploit a widow or an orphan or, in other words, the vulnerable and the poor. If you exploit them in any way and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will blaze against you, God says, and I will kill you with the sword. Yikes. What's God saying here? Well, he, he's not saying he's going to literally kill them with the sword, but that he's not, going to, he's not going to defend them from the attack of their enemies, that he'll let their enemies come in and kill them, conquer them. them. Then, God says, your wives and, uh, will be widows and your children will be fatherless and you will find yourself in the exact same situation of the people that you were oppressing. God says, if you don't defend the widows, the orphans, the vulnerable, I'm going to be blazing angry with you, which we see from time to time in the Old Testament, right? As God's anger does indeed blaze against them because of their neglect of the poor. If you don't believe me, just read the book of Amos or the book of Micah or the book of Jeremiah or really any of the prophets in the Old Testament. It's one of the main reasons we see God getting angry with his people is because of their neglect to care for the poor. These are just three Old Testament passages and there's hundreds of others we could look at. We could look at the dozens of verses that speak to the issue of poverty and God's concern for the poor in the book of Proverbs. We could look at the gleaning laws that God laid out for the nation of Israel, the instructions that he gave the nation of Israel to care for the foreigners and the refugees amongst them. Could look at um, the Sabbath year that God put in place, that God instituted, where every seventh year all debt would be re released, that people would be forgiven of their debts so that no one would get too far behind. Like it's clear again and again as we survey the Old Testament that God is deeply concerned about justice and he cares deeply for the poor and the needy. All throughout the Old Testament, it's made clear, right? Again and again, that God is on the side of the poor and the oppressed, and the needy, and the vulnerable. That he's the father to the fatherless, and the defender of the widow, the provider of the poor and the needy. And he invites us now, as the people of God, to partner with him in it. Like caring for the poor, it's not just some optional side project, but it is and always has been a major part of God's mission God's desire to see restoration brought into the world, the Old Testament. Now, I know as we look at some of these Old Testament verses and talk about what the Old Testament says about this issue that some might say, yeah, but Jeff, that's the Old Testament. What about Jesus? What about the New Testament, right? We're New Testament people. What did Jesus, what did the New Testament have to say about this issue? And where does the church and find itself within the conversation. How is this to impact our daily lives and the way that we engage with one another as the people of God? It's a great question, and I'm so glad that you asked. First, as we look at Jesus, who, by the way, is the Old Testament God of justice in the flesh. As we look at Jesus, what we see is care and concern for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable as front and center in his life and ministry. Again, not some side optional project, but front and center to his life 
and ministry. For example, in Luke 4, verses 18 through to 21, as Jesus visited his local synagogue on the Sabbath right before launching his public ministry, Jesus, he went and he grabbed a scroll and he read from the prophet Isaiah. These are the words he read. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come, that the year of Jubilee has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down, and all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, why had the scripture been fulfilled? Well, it was because the Old Testament, God of justice, was right there amongst them in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. And care and concern for the poor and the needy was key to the ministry of Jesus. His message was one of good news for the poor. Now, I know when we read these words from Luke 4, they can be spiritualized sometimes, theologized even, if you will. Where some might say that when Jesus says the words, the poor here, he doesn't mean the literal poor. Or when he talks about the blind, he he doesn't mean the literal blind or the literal oppressed. But what Jesus meant when he talked about these different types of people, the poor, the blind, the oppressed, what he was talking about was not so much their physical condition, but their spiritual condition and their need for a savior and for rescue and for healing, healing that only Jesus can provide and would provide by going to the cross and dying for our sins so that we could be made right with God, so that we could be forgiven and redeemed and restored, rich, middle class, and poor people alike. And obviously, that's 100% true, that Jesus did indeed come to die for the rich, the poor, and the middle class alike, and that we all need a savior. And apart from Jesus, we are all spiritually bankrupt. We're all spiritually blind and spiritually oppressed by sin and by Satan himself. That's 100% true. We need a savior. But it's also 100% true that the good news of Jesus is especially good news for the literal poor and the literal oppressed, and the literal marginalized, those who know they need Jesus the most. As God in Christ has come near to the poor, and the marginalized, and the oppressed, in their pain, and offers them hope, and help, and sometimes even a way out from that marginalization, from that oppression, from their poverty. And we see this again and again throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. We see him proclaiming in both word and deed, good news to the poor. Whether we're talking about Jesus's miracles and how he healed people, right? People who had some sort of physical limitation or illness or disability or condition that often forced them into poverty and being excluded and marginalized by their community. He would heal those people as a way not just to restore them physically, but to restore them socially and spiritually and emotionally, holistically in every way. We also see good news for the poor and the way that Jesus lived his life as we look at how he spent his time, the kinds of people he hung out with. He hung out with uh, tax collectors 
and sinners, people who were marginalized and excluded and hated by others, the, the tax collectors often being the oppressor, the rich oppressor who took advantage of others, and of course sinners being people who often found themselves in morally questionable situations, but also maybe even in poverty because of their situation. Jesus did not discriminate against groups of people, but hung out with all people, the kinds of people who were excluded and marginalized from society, rich and poor. We see good news for the poor as well in Jesus' teaching. There's so many examples we could look at as Jesus taught on the poor, but I want to look at two passages just briefly with you here today. The first passage is this. It's Luke 14, verses 12 through to 14, just as one example where Jesus said this. He said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back and you will, and that will be your only reward. Instead, he says, listen, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. In this passage, there's lots of uh, messages within it, lots of points that Jesus is making. But the main point that Jesus is making is that his followers, that you and me, disciples of Jesus, should be the kinds of people who include the poor in our lives. We should be the kind of people who invite the, the, the marginalized, the forgotten, those who are pushed to the, the fringe of society. And we should include them in our lives when we throw a party, when we're hosting a home church in our home, when we're getting together with friends, when we're hanging out in our neighborhood. We should always be looking for those who are excluded, for the poor, for the needy, and including them in our lives. Why? Because that's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. He's the God of justice, and we must be people of justice as well. Includers, people who include the poor and the weak and the marginalized and the vulnerable. That's Luke 14. And then there's Matthew 25 in the parable of the sheep and the goats, which is probably Jesus's most teaching on this subject, where Jesus compared Judgment Day to the common everyday task of shepherds who would identify and remove goats from the flock. And on that day, on Judgment Day, Jesus taught, there will be many who claim to have believed in him, but who he will reject. They're the goats, Jesus was said, and not would say, not, not the good goats either, right? Like we're not talking Tom Brady or the greatest of all time, but the, the bad goats, the black sheep in the family, if you will. But his true sheep, Jesus says, on the other hand, will be the kind of people who do this instead. Matthew 25, verses 34 to 40. Here's what Jesus, the king, would say to the people, his true sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And listen to this, verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it 
to me. Wow, what a, what a passage, right? What a, what a parable that Jesus tells here in Matthew 25. Now, there is some debate in theological circles around who the least of these are and what, what it is that's really going on in this passage. But theological debate aside, one thing is abundantly clear in this passage. And that is that according to Jesus, his true disciples are the kinds of people who will care for the poor and the needy. Specifically in this passage, Jesus talks about the hungry and the thirsty, the, the stranger or the foreigner, the alien, the refugee, the sick, the naked, the unclothed, the imprisoned, right? Basically, those whose society has written off and who ignores and marginalizes and oppresses or condemns as lazy, saying they deserve it because of their addiction or because of their poor work ethic or because of whatever it may be. And, and we do this, we do this, we care for the, the poor and the needy, these specific groups of people, not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation instead. This is so important. We don't care for others. We don't care for the needy. We don't engage in acts of justice because we think that by doing so, we're getting into God's good books and that he will welcome us into heaven one day as a result. No, we don't do this to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation instead. It's why here in the parable, the king who represents Jesus said to both the sheep and the goats, he said, when you embrace the poor, he said this to the sheep, when you embrace the poor, you embraced me. But then he said to the goats, he said, when you ignored the poor, you ignored me. It's because our care or our lack of care for the poor is a direct reflection of our experience of the grace of God in our lives. As we come to know and understand God's goodness, God's grace in our lives, the grace that we don't deserve, we can't help but share it with others, with those who are the most vulnerable, most needy amongst us. And if we don't share that grace with others, then maybe we don't really know the grace of God. Tim Keller, in his excellent book, Generous Justice, which I would commend to you if you want to do a deeper dive on this topic, that's what this book is all about. In that book, he summarizes Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 like this. He says, Jesus was saying, if you had opened your hearts and lives to them, the poor, then I would know that you had opened it up to me. If you were closed to them, I know you were closed to me. And then listen to this. No heart that loves Christ can be cold to the vulnerable and the needy. Whoa. No heart. Listen to this again. No heart that loves Christ can be cold to the vulnerable and the needy. Why? Because as we've experienced the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus ourselves, we can't help but share it with those who need it the most. That's Matthew 25. And this is just some of Jesus' teaching around the poor and the needy, teaching that is good news for the poor and the needy. Haven't even looked at Jesus' teaching in Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, or haven't looked at Matthew 22 and the, the good or great commandment, right? To love God with everything we've got and to love our neighbor, including poor neighbor, as ourselves. We haven't talked about passages where Jesus instructs his disciples to sell possessions and to care for the poor. We haven't even talked, most importantly, about the cross and the empty tomb. 
Like think about what Jesus did on the cross. You know that when Jesus hung on that cross, yes, he took with him our sin and our shame, but he also took all of the world's poverty upon himself and injustice as well to the cross. Why? Because those are things that were not part of God's ideal for the world. Those are consequences to sin and brokenness in our world. Poverty is not something that God intended for us to ever experience. And so when he hung on the cross, he took upon himself our sin, our shame, and the poverty and the injustice that is seen across the world, conquering it once and for all and rising from the grave. There's so many other things we could look at in the life of Jesus, but the point I think is clear. And that is that the good news of Jesus is good news for the poor. In large part because care and concern for the poor, it was front and center, right? In the life and ministry of Jesus, in word and deed, he lived it out. He showed us what it looks like to care for the poor, what good news for the poor looks like. That's Jesus and the poor. And now finally, there's the church, the story of the church. The ones who Jesus commissioned in Matthew 28 to go into all the world and to make disciples. Disciples, by the way, being people who are committed to being like Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and ultimately doing what Jesus said, which includes caring for the poor. You're not a disciple of Jesus. We're not being... um, like Jesus, unless we care for the poor, that's part of what it is to be like Christ and to do what he said is to care for the needy and the poor. And by the time we get to the story of the early church in the book of Acts, you know what we see them doing? (laughs) Funny enough, we see them caring for the poor and the needy. We see them continuing on the life in the ministry of Jesus. We saw this in a passage we looked at last week in Acts 2 verses 42 through to 47. We see this in Acts 4 as well. We're starting in verse 32. We read this. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Amazing. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They testified powerfully to the gospel of Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. And as they testified powerfully to the resurrection of the gospel, look at what happened as a result. Verse 34, There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. Wow, what a crazy example they've set for us. But but notice this early church, the first church in the book of Acts. Notice, first of all, that they they knew those who were in need, right? They had to know the, the needs amongst them in the community in order to meet those needs. They were in close proximity with them, like that passage in Luke 14 where Jesus says, invite the poor into your lives. When you're having a party, invite them over, include them. They must have done this because they knew who the poor and the needy were. They were in their lives, in relationship with them. They saw the need, but they didn't just see the need. They actually met the need, sacrificially giving of themselves, even selling their properties to meet those needs. Crazy generosity, crazy commitment to caring for the poor and the needy amongst them. So much so that Luke, the author of Acts, says that there were no needy people amongst them because they were so radically committed to caring for the poor and the needy amongst them. 
And then interestingly, as the story of Acts, the story of the early church continues two chapters later in Acts chapter 6, we discover that somewhere along the way, the church also started a daily food distribution uh, program for the poor and the needy, widows in particular. In Acts 6, verses 1 through 7, which we won't look at here today, but in Acts 6, we see the 12 apostles commissioning seven other leaders, who would go on to be called deacons, to coordinate this program on their behalf. Since this program had grown so big, they couldn't administrate it themselves anymore, and they needed to be focused, the apostles did, on prayer and on teaching the Word of God. And so they empowered others to provide leadership to this critical program in the life of the church because they knew how important it was. Just two examples from the story of the early church of them caring for the poor and the needy. There's so many more throughout the book of Acts, throughout the epistles, as you see the apostle Paul being eager to care for the poor, as you see the church taking collections for poor churches, as you see the church caring for widows and orphans, as you read the book of James and you discover that faith without works is dead, right? And that the kind of religion, the true religion that God wants from us is one where we care for widows and orphans. It's clear again and again all throughout the pages of the New Testament that the church is called to carry on the ministry of Jesus and to care for the poor. And just as Jesus cared for the poor and the needy, just as that was front and center in his life and ministry, so it should be for the church today. Now, that's a lot of content. <laughs> it's a lot of Bible verses we just looked at, a lot of information I just shared with you. I, I know you're probably not going to remember all of that, but here's what I do want you to remember. Here's my hope, my prayer as you listen to this message. Here's what I hope you take away from it. It's that caring for the poor and the needy, it's not just some optional side project that only some of us might feel called to do in our spare time. No, it is actually key to the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. Because the good news of Jesus is good news for the poor, it is central to the mission of the church. And we must actively look to serve those amongst us, amongst our community, amongst our city who are poor, weak, vulnerable, marginalized, and oppressed because we carry, we have the good news of Jesus, which is good news for the poor. And to be clear, when, when we talk about caring for the poor, we're not talking about the social gospel, if there is such a thing. We're not talking about liberal theology. I'm not talking about being woke or, or whatever it is. No, I'm talking about the Bible and actually following Jesus the way that he instructed us to follow him. This matters not because it could potentially align with some political ideology or theological ideology. No, it matters because it matters to God, the God of justice, the Jesus, God of justice in the flesh, who uh, showed us how to do this well. It's about our own discipleship, making disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, disciples who care for the poor and the needy and the oppressed. Last spring, the spring of 2020, as uh, we were all still emerging from the fog of the pandemic, the elders and I went on a 24-hour retreat together. Someone lent us their cottage on the Quebec side, and so we spent a day and a night together, praying together, dreaming together, and just kind of recalibrating together as a leadership team coming out of COVID. 
you know, we talked about a lot of different things, as you can imagine, but one of the questions that kept coming up again and again was around what it means to be the church in a post-COVID world. You know, after a couple of years of not really having in-person services and not running in-person programs and ministries, and after seeing many people um, leave the church or at least not return to church for a variety of reasons, and after looking at our budget and seeing the question marks we had financially (laughs) as a church, and after considering where people were at spiritually and how many how many people were struggling in our community and relationships and marriages that were struggling. There there were lots of questions for us about what it meant to be the church, to do life together kind of after COVID. What does being the church look like now? And how can we be faithful to lead well into this next season as a, for our church? We talked about a number of different things and had a lot of ideas around what that could look like. But one thought, emerged again and again. It was expressed in a variety of ways around what we think it means to be the church in a post-COVID world. And if I could summarize it, I'd summarize it like this. It was that we need to resist the pull towards becoming an inward-focused church. Right? Because coming out of COVID, that was the temptation, right? Like, oh my goodness, we're struggling financially. We need to get people to show up again so that they start giving and so that we're okay and we, we survive this whole thing. And oh my goodness, people aren't coming anymore. And we need to focus on numbers and growing our attendance and having some illusion of success because there's more people showing up to Sunday services or to our programs. Or oh, oh my goodness, uh, not enough people are watching online anymore. They don't care. Any- we got to grow our numbers. We got to think in terms of just ourselves and providing programs for our kids and for our own families and our own life. We got to resist the pull towards becoming an inward focused church and living with this scarcity mindset. And instead, we need to choose to be an outward focused church instead, living with a growth mindset, being a church that is for the good and the flourishing of our community, a church that actually puts its faith into action Like the passage in James 2 tells us, right? Like to actually live out our faith because faith without works is dead. We need to be a church that actually believes that the good news of Jesus is good news for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable and the marginalized amongst us. We're maybe five years from now, if we were to actually live that way and organize ourselves that way around caring for the poor and the needy, maybe five years from now. If the church, if the gathering were to up and disappear once again, as it kind of did during COVID, the community around us would actually miss us. And not just because of our movies in the park and the fun community events that we do, as important as those are to build bridges with our neighbors and to help connect relationally with our community. But they'd miss us because we were actually meeting a real need in the community, a need that Jesus was calling us to meet as we proclaimed in both word and deed, good news, the good news of Jesus, which is for the poor. We're like, what would it look like if that could be true of us? A church that was committed to living with an outward focus, caring for the vulnerable and the poor and the needy in our community. And long story short, a year and a half later, here we are. 
We've learned now that food insecurity is a real problem in our neighborhood. To our shock and surprise, we thought Riverside South was a pretty affluent community, but actually people are struggling to put food on their tables. Dozens, maybe even hundreds of families are struggling to provide for their kids. And there's really nowhere in the neighborhood for them to go. No social services, no food banks, no one who's able to help them meet their practical needs. But here's Here's the good news. You know what is in the neighborhood? A church, a community of the people of God, people who believe in the God of justice, a God who came near in the person of Jesus and who proclaims good news for the poor and the needy. There's a church in this neighborhood who believes the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus actually is the hope of the world and that Jesus changes everything for us spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. And as we long to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community, we want to reach those who are struggling to put food on their table. We want to help them discover a God who loves them in Jesus, a God who died for them and empowered a people to care for them well. We're committed to doing that. It's why we're committed to launching a food bank in the Riverside South area of Ottawa. And so here we are today. We know that God cares deeply for the poor. We've seen the need in our neighborhood. And now the question that we have that I want to ask you, want to ask myself, is what are you going to do about it? How are you going to live in response to God's heart for the poor? How are you going to give? How are you going to love? How are you going to share Jesus in both word and deed? Friends, let's stay away from the Holy Bible, but read the Holy Bible instead. And let's resist the pull towards becoming an inward-focused church that is only focused on itself. And let's ask God to give us his heart for the world and for our community, for the poor and the needy amongst us instead, knowing that as he gives us his heart, he empowers us by his spirit to do something about it, just like he did the early church in Acts 4. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you that you are the God of justice in the flesh. You show us how, how to care for the poor, how to love the needy, how to take people in who are often on the out, the outside of society, uh, on the fringe of society, those who are forgotten, oppressed, ignored, marginalized. Thank you for the heart that you've given this church. It's always been in this church to be an outward focused church. Thank you for leading us in the way that you have to this food bank idea. And there's so many questions logistically around what that's going to look like, how we're going to do that financially, volunteer-wise, all of it. But we trust you, Jesus, because we know that you are on the side of the poor and you will take care of us. You will lead us. You will guide us. You died for the sins of the world, but also for the poverty of the world as well. And you've invited us to make a difference in Jesus' name with the people who are struggling most amongst us. Use us, Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A practical next step, uh, caring for the poor and the needy, the vulnerable in our community, is to participate in our Thanksgiving food drive. That's happening October, the week of October 1st, 8th, and 15th. I want to challenge you, encourage you to give and to give generously to those in need through our Thanksgiving food drive. Just a real simple thing that we can all do and can all participate in. 
want to encourage you as well to pray for us as a church that we be led by the Spirit of God in our journey through this Anchor Cause food bank thing. We just, we really need God to provide for us. We need to be in tune with the Spirit. So continue to pray for us to get involved in that, to volunteer at our local food banks, at the Care Center, Pavilion Food Bank. Get involved. Care for the poor and the needy, the vulnerable amongst us because God is on the side of the poor and he invites us to be as well. Here's my prayer of benediction for you out of James 1 verse 27, which says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, it's to look after orphans and widows or the needy, the poor in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So may you go in the peace and wholeness of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, good news for the poor in both word and deed this week. God bless you guys.